This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. All right, good. How is everybody this morning? Blessed? You glad to be in church? Amen. Well, I'm going to get ready to get into the message here, but we have a couple of uh, wonderful first timers to uh, introduce today. Um, actually, not not a couple. We have three, uh, but, <laughs> but we have three newborns here in the house with us. And this is uh, Julie. I don't know if you want to if he's asleep or not, but this is my nephew, Jonas, who was born this week. <laughs> I'm sure you've, you've probably seen pictures and stuff. We're a tight-knit family as, as a church family, but I know everybody's probably seen some pictures. So we've got Jonas here. He was born on Tuesday, not Monday. Not Monday. He was born on Tuesday. <laughs> and uh, and then uh, we've got... Where, where are the little guys at? Oh, okay. There's one. There's the other. Okay. So which one is this? This is Edge and this is Brody. Okay, very good. So we've got Edge and Brody here with us for the first time today too. So they are they're twins, obviously. So good, but but we're excited and uh, we man our nurseries they're growing, man. Sometimes you go up there and there's a lot of babies in this church. There's a lot of babies in this church. And then some of Julie's family is here from Texas also. I don't know where they all went, but her brother-in-law is here, Luke. So. <laughs> Yeah, the rest of his family bailed on him, but that's all right. They're they're here somewhere on the property, so you can meet them later on. But anyway, it's an exciting time uh, seeing all seeing the the growth in the families and at the church and everything. So, all right. Well, this morning we have a message that we're going to share with you. And if you need an outline for this sermon, raise your hand and the ushers will get you one. But our title today is this, and it may sound discouraging at first, but I promise you it's not. The title of today's message is the day of trouble. The day of trouble. Now, has anybody in here ever experienced what maybe you could call the day of trouble? Where I mean, are my, some of you have your life's just been that good where you've never had a day of trouble. Anyone there? No. OK, well, if you're a human being breathing oxygen through your lungs, you have had the day of trouble. But the thing is, is it's usually not just one day of trouble. There tends to be seasons of our life that are difficult. Where there's trouble, where where you have an opportunity to really fight the good fight of faith, right? Amen. You've been there. And so there's this verse that I, I absolutely love, and it's found in the book of Nahum, Nahum chapter one, verse uh, seven. And so I'm going to give you a minute to turn there because I've already had people asking me, where's the book of Nahum? I mean, come on. You don't read that every day. Jonah, Micah, Nahum. It's right after Micah. Everyone. I mean, come on. You read Micah, too, right? No? Okay, well, you get over there. Uh, Nahum chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 7. That's our uh, text for this morning. Nahum chapter 1, verse 7. And if you eventually just can't find it, you can look on the screen because we'll, we'll put it up there for you. But Nahum chapter 1 and verse 7. It's on page 874 if you're having trouble. <laughs> 874. Nahum chapter 1, verse 7. It says this The Lord is good. Somebody just got that. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. But man, man, get this. The Lord is good. 
He is a stronghold in the day of trouble. Is the Lord the day of trouble? Is the Lord the one that sent the trouble? No, but he is a stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knows those who trust him. Is there anyone in here today that could say, I trust the Lord? Are you one of those? God knows who you are. And he sees the battle that you're fighting right now. And he says, listen, listen to me. I am good. I am a stronghold in this day of trouble. And I see you. I know you. I know those who trust in me. And if you're having a bad day, if you're having a hard time, that's enough right there to get you excited. That's enough to pick you up off the ground because you've got to remember the Lord is good. That's so simple. That's so basic. We all know that. But you've got to get it in your heart that the Lord is good. He is a stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knows those who trust in him. That's the best news that I've heard all week. That's the best news that I've heard all year that God is on my side. He knows me because I trust in him and he is the stronghold. He is my rescuer. He is my savior. He's the one that's going to pull me out of this mess. Amen. Because he is a stronghold in the day of trouble. Let's go ahead and pray. And then we've got three things we're going to talk to you about this morning. Amen. Father, in Jesus name, we thank you, Lord, so much that we have a church to worship you in, Lord, that we have a family to surround ourselves with. Lord, we're so thankful for that. And God, I pray in Jesus name that as we open up the word of God today, that you're going to speak to each person here. Lord, you know what each one of us is facing. And I thank you that our answers are on the way right now in the name of Jesus. Everybody said amen. And so we're going to get into point number one here. And that's this. Number one, the day of trouble comes to everyone. Right. Or are you exempt? Listen, (laughs) the day of trouble comes to everyone. Now, I'm not believing for it. I'm not praying for it to come. I'm not going to sit here and say that it's coming. I'm not going to confess that. But the truth of the matter is this. If Jesus had obstacles come against him, you don't think that they're going to come against you? If the devil came and tried to tempt Jesus, if the devil came and tried to bring roadblocks into Jesus' life, you think that you're above that? Absolutely not. There will be the day of trouble that comes to your life. But the question is, is what are you going to do about it? Are you going to welcome it? Are you going to sit there and wallow in the pity? Listen to me. Pity is not going to help you. You do not need sympathy and pity from other people. You need to step up and fight the good fight of faith. I was talking to a young man just a couple nights ago that's going through something. And I told him, listen to me. Quit going on the Internet and try and get, you know, and telling everybody how bad your life is. Stop it. Quit doing that. That's not going to bail you out of your mess, man. I had cancer and sympathy. A lot of people felt super bad for me, but it didn't heal me. They didn't do a thing in the world for me. Sympathy is nice and it has its place and 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 concern and care and pity. I mean, those that have their place. But pity is not going to pull you out of the day of trouble. It's going to make the day of trouble not last 24 hours, but 36, but 48, but 72. It is going to prolong it into the season of trouble. And that is not what you need. 
You need to know that the Lord is good. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who trust in him. And you've got to stand up and fight the good fight of faith and quit worrying about what other people think about it. Amen. And so the day of trouble comes to everybody. I need to show you this verse here in first Corinthians chapter 10, first Corinthians 10. Can I get two ushers to move these fans off of the pulpit, please? They're blowing my papers everywhere. Thank you. First uh, Corinthians chapter 10. And we're going to look at verse 13. Now, this again, I, I say this a lot, but this is absolutely one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. First Corinthians chapter 10. And we're going to look here at verse 13. First Corinthians 10, 13. Now, if you're the type of fellow that highlights in his Bible, this would be a good one to do that to. If you're the type of lady that puts little stars beside your favorite verses, this is one for you to do that to. First Corinthians 10, 13, it says this. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. The temptations in your life are no different than from what others experience. But God is faithful. Say amen. God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you're tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. That's good news right there. Now, this word temptations in this in this uh, verse here, it comes from this Greek word pyrasmus. And, and when you break it down, this word means the troubles or the test. And so I like to read this verse this way, that the troubles... The tests in your life are no different than from what others experience. But God is faithful. He will not allow the trouble to be more than you can stand. And when you are troubled, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Now, one major lie that the devil likes to feed you, because you do know this, that the devil is a liar and he is the father of lies. So everything that he says is a lie and everything that God says is truth. One lie the devil will try to feed to you is you're the only one going through this right now. This is you. No one, no one else is facing this. You should be ashamed of yourself. Look at you, man. Look at look at what you're going through. But the Bible tells us that the troubles that you face, the temptations that you face says it's no different than what everyone else is experiencing. But God is faithful. He will not allow the trouble to be more than you can stand. And when you are troubled, tempted, tested, he will provide a way of escape so you can endure it. Right. And so whenever that lie comes to you, you ought to be ashamed, man. Nobody else in that church. You're the worst one there. No one else goes through this. Or whenever you try to, on the other hand, wallow in that pity and say, Nobody knows the troubles I've seen. You know, whenever that comes to you, stop it. Listen, pity, feeling bad for yourself doesn't change a thing. Doesn't change a thing. Fighting the good fight of faith changes everything. Not growing weary and well-doing changes everything. Exodus 14, 14 says the Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. That changes everything. But sitting there thinking that you're the only one. Nobody knows what you're going through. Nobody else gets it. They just don't understand. Stop that. Lots of people, hundreds, thousands, millions of people have been through the same thing. And are we trying to make light of your troubles and pains? No, we're not making light of it. We we get that, man, sometimes it hurts in the day of trouble. We've all been there. But listen, pity 
feeling bad for yourself, believing lies from Satan is not going to change it, is it? That's not going to end the day of trouble. So you've got to know where to go to. You've got to go to the stronghold. You've got to go to the one that is good and knows your name and cares enough about you to pull you up out of that mess. The Lord is good. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. And so I say this, that the day of trouble is usually not just one rough day, but a season in life. Now, I mean, I wish sometimes you could just, I mean, if you could just bank on it, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, day of trouble, day, Thursday, Friday. So, I mean, would that be easy? You could, you could plan for it. You know it was coming. You could just call in that day or, or sleep in or whatever. That would be easy, but it's not like that. The day of trouble just seems to spring upon us. But listen, that doesn't change the fact that God is God. God is good. He's a stronghold and he pulls us out of it. And so I'm going to break this down for us. There are two primary sources that trouble comes from. Now, I'm not saying these are the absolute only way. This is the definitive. But listen, there's two primary sources that trouble and pain can come from in our life. And the first one is this. Number one is Satan. You know this, right? Satan, that's that. I mean, he is the enemy. He is the liar. He is he's the one that that even was dumb enough to try to tempt Jesus. So Satan is is the absolute first source of any trouble we have. And so I want to show you this verse. First, Peter, chapter five, verses eight and nine. First, Peter, chapter five, verses eight, and nine. Thank you for that excitement. Amen. Praise God. First, Peter, five, verses eight and nine. There we go. You sure are frozen for it being 150 degrees out there. <laughs> First Peter chapter five. Verses eight and nine. First Peter five, <laughs> eight, and nine. Now check this out. Check this out. All right. So it says this. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, your brother. No, your great enemy, your husband. No, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion. He is not a roaring lion. He tries to act like one. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, there's a lot of people that are very, very easy prey for the devil. The people that want to wallow in the pity and stuff like that. Man, they're an easy target, dude. If I was a lion, I would I would go for the, you know, for the weak one that doesn't put up any fight. Man, I'd take him out right away before I moved on to the next. But listen, don't be like that. The devil is like a roaring lion and he is looking for someone to devour. But what are you supposed to do? Verse nine, resist. Number number verse nine, it says, stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. And so there it is again. You're not the only one who has a bad day. You're not the only one. Your problem is not unique to you. You can't copyright it. You can't trademark it. You can't say, no, this is mine. You get your own problems. I own this one. Don't own your problems, man. Give it back to the devil. I see so many people that, I mean, it's like a badge of honor. Yeah, I've got this sickness. I've been suffering for 43 years from it. Dude, this one time, I, I had this uh, missionary friend that Katie and I went to college with. 
She, I mean, she, she, right now she's in Iraq preaching to Muslims. I tell you how, like, bold she is. She is wild. But, and she has no fear. She's a really cool girl. But she came to church with us in Indiana one time. She was praying for all these sick people. They were getting healed. She's, she's laid hands on the blind. They've been healed. And so this, this guy comes up and starts telling her all about his, how he's been diabetic, you know, for 50 years or whatever it was. And, I mean, just almost bragging about it. Yeah, I've got, I've got it bad. You think those people had it bad? I've got it worse. I've got it really, really bad. And so she, he's basically bragging on the devil and all this stuff and how bad his sickness is. And she's like, do you want me to pray for you? I mean, these people just got healed. No, it's, it's cool. I, I mean, this is my thing. I'm, I'm the diabetic guy. Everybody knows that. And like, why would you want that? I mean, I, I would not want that. I'm not diabetic, but if I was, I wouldn't want it. And if somebody just prayed for a dozen people that got healed and offered to pray for me, I, yeah, I'll take that. I don't want this anymore. But some people, they've just let their problems move in. They've opened up the new bedroom for them. Some of them have added onto the house, given, you know, an addition. This is, this is my problems room. He stays over here. He lives here. He's, he's kind of my thing. Like, why would you want that? Whenever trouble comes to me, I fight with every ounce of, that I have in the spirit to get rid of the day of trouble. I kick it out, man. And so here we are. Two, two primary sources it comes from is number one, the devil. But it tells us to resist him, to stand firm and to fight the fight of faith. It doesn't say he walks around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Oh, shucks. And that's the end. Period. No, it says stand firm, resist him in your faith. And so no doubt about it, no doubt about it. The primary source of trouble in this life is Satan. And most Christians would agree on that. But I want to go to the second source, primary source of trouble in our lives. And that's you. That's you. And I'm not, I mean, I'm just, you know, figuratively speaking, sometimes we bring trouble and pain into our own lives and then we try to blame it on the devil. The devil made me do it. No, he didn't. You chose. You know what I mean? You were tempted, but you chose to do that. And this isn't the judgmental make you feel bad. So put your don't judge me flags down. Just put them down for a minute and let's let's get real. We're trying to help people today. Sometimes we're looking for somebody to blame But we invited the day of trouble. I have brought the day of trouble upon my life sometimes. Sometimes I've been looking for someone to blame. I've been wanting to yell and, you know, scream at the devil. But it was me that opened up the day of trouble. So what do you do at that point? Well, I need to show you something here in Galatians chapter 5. Man, we got a lot of scripture today. Galatians chapter 5. And so I I like something that, that Kenneth Hagin said. He said, some things that folks attribute to the devil are really nothing more than the works of the flesh. Now, some things that, that, you know, we, we attribute and, you know, try to give Satan. I'm, sh- I'm sure he'd love to receive all the glory for it, you know, and take all the credit for making this bad thing happen in our lives. But sometimes it's what the Bible calls the works of the flesh. Now, you know, in Galatians chapter five, we've got the fruit of the spirit, right? 522, 23, love, joy, peace, all that stuff. They say that's, that's the fruit. That's the works of the spirit in your life. If the Holy Spirit is controlling your life, 
we're going to see love. We're going to see joy, peace. You're going to be a patient person. You're going to, you know, have all these great things going on. But right before the fruit of the spirit, we've got a few verses that are extremely ugly and, and hard to look at. And I, I mean, these are not the, you don't want to put these on your refrigerator or put them on a T-shirt and, you know, walk around town in your new Christian tea. Don't do that. This is not a good one. But but it's the truth. Galatians five, verse 19, it says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, my personal favorite, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties and other sins like these. That is ugly. Look at this. Let me tell you again, as I have said before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, this is a list of. Of the things that happen when we let our sinful nature control us. Have you ever seen somebody that is controlled by their sinful nature? Are they in this room right now? No. <laughs> no. But have, I mean, you've seen somebody. They are controlled by something on that list. You know, there's envy and there's wild parties. I mean, good Lord, look at this stuff. Lustful pleasures, all this. And it says this is what happens when you let your sinful nature control you. So then why is it if we go to a wild, drunken party and we say, oh, man, the devil did that to me, man. He, he's up to no good. He's after me again, man. Listen, you can't blame that on the devil. You, 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 you know, I'm not making you feel bad, but seriously, you put the key in the car. You drove there. You got out of the car and you chose to partake of what they were doing. The devil did not make you do that. He probably tempted you. He could have thrown it out there. But listen to me. I mean, because the devil tempted Jesus. All right. So temptation can come from the devil or it can come from your own, you know, sinful desires, James tells us. But check it out. The devil didn't make you do that. We brought that upon ourselves. There are other things on that list that I have brought upon myself. Now, did I sit there and feel bad about it forever? No. I realized it and I said, oh, man, I did that to myself. Well, guess what? That ends right now. I'm not doing that anymore. Jesus, forgive me. Give me the strength to not do that anymore. And I'm going to exit the day of trouble right now. I'm just going to walk on out of this and get away from it. But that's how you handle it. And so, yeah, the day of trouble, it, it comes to everybody. Nobody's exempt from troubles in this life. And two primary ways that, that it comes to us is absolutely through Satan, but also through ourselves. And so, listen, we've got to get a hold of that and realize that until we can defeat the enemy, until we can pass the test, it's not going to it's not just going to give up. And I like something else that Kenneth Hagin said regarding this. He said, oftentimes. Christians who are having problems with the flesh think that if they could just get away from it all or move to another state or change jobs or churches, things would be different. But the problem is you can't get away from the flesh. Moving or changing churches isn't going to solve the problem if it's your unredeemed flesh you're dealing with. Wherever you go, your flesh is still going to be there. I like something that Dr. Barclay said. The only problem with moving to get away from your troubles is this. You're taking you with you. <laughs> when you get to New York, you're going to be there. That's bad. That's trouble. You know, when you, when you when you get to that new church, you're still going to be there. When you switch jobs again, because everyone's mean and, and nobody does it as good as you. Listen, you're taking you with you and it's going to be that way. Every, listen, if everywhere you go, you keep running into the exact same problems. The problem is you. 
It's not everybody else. Not everybody at every job is the bad guy. Not everybody in every state. Not everybody everywhere. We've got to come to grips with it and own up to it and say, I'm bringing some trouble into my life. And until I get things right with God, until I do things his way, until I crucify the flesh, as the Bible says, it's going to keep being this way. The day of trouble will never end. It will turn into the year of trouble. It will turn into the decade of trouble. It will turn into the quarter of a century of trouble. And that's not God's will. The Lord is good. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. It's not his will for the day of trouble to be forever for you. It's his will to pull you out of that mess and get you on the right track. Amen. Because he's good. He's the stronghold. And so, number one, the day of trouble comes to everybody. But number two, check this out. Trouble doesn't come from God. Contrary to popular belief, trouble does not come from God. I was at a function at a different place of worship recently. I'm going to throw names out there. But I was at a a function of some sort at a different house of worship in recent history. And a bad thing had happened. And and the, 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 the minister kept going on and on about how God did this. Because in his infinite wisdom, he knows that your loved one would be better off not here. He knows, in his, in his infinite wisdom, he did this to you because he knows all things. And I was like, dear God, dear God, if God's the one killing me and taking my babies and, and stealing my money and my jobs and everything else, why would I want to serve that? I mean, for reals, let's get real for just a minute. God is not the source of trouble. He says he's good. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. He is not the day of trouble himself. God does not bring bad things upon you, upon his children. It doesn't work that way. And I mean, we could we could go all day long. If you want to do a scripture battle, meet me out back with your Bible. I'm ready for this one. I'm pretty confident I could win this one. But check this out. Psalm 91, verse 15. Psalm 91, verse 15. Check it. Psalm 91, verse 15. This is right here. Psalm 91, verse 15. This is a very well-known psalm. Excellent, excellent chapter to stand on in your life. But Psalm 91, verse 15 And this talks about trouble. Psalm 91, verse 15, it says, God says, when they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. So if God is the source of your trouble. Then he has to rescue you from himself. Does that make any sense? Why would God need to rescue you from himself if he's the one bringing the trouble into your life? It doesn't work that way. That doesn't make any sense at all. If God's the one thumping you down in life, but he, call on me, I'll, I'll, I'll answer you. I'll be there. Come on, call on me. That's stupid, man. That doesn't make any sense at all. Why, if he's this big bully that everyone accuses him of, then why does he keep telling you to call? Call. I'll bring you out of that. I'm, I'm with you. I'm good. I'm a stronghold in the day of trouble. But just let me beat you down a little bit more till you get it. No, it doesn't work that way. He's not the source of your trouble. And if you think that that's it. Man, you, it is going to be a long, bumpy ride for you throughout this life if you constantly think that the one that promises to love you and rescue you is the one bringing pain into your life. You're a very confused person, and that's that absolutely not true. He's a good father. 
He said, if you earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more so does your father in heaven know how to do it? He, and, you know, Jesus gave this example. You fathers, if your if your kid asks for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? Can you imagine that your your son comes up? Dad, I'm hungry. Can I have an egg? Sure. How about a scorpion instead? I say, man, what an abuser, man. Call CPS on that nut. Weirdo. That's, that's stupid. That is that is not right. That is messed up. Anybody in the world would say, that is not a good father, wouldn't you? But how come all the time Christians say, oh, he's a good father. He gave me cancer. He's the best father ever. He, he, he took my wife. He took my kid. He pulled my job right out from underneath me. Now I'm homeless. He's the best father in the world because he, he knows what's good for me. And he knew that being poor and destitute would be the absolute best thing for me in my life. Listen. That's a lie, and Satan has fed that to God's children for thousands of years, and they've believed it. Believed that God is the one, oftentimes bringing the trouble and the pain and the heartache into their life to teach them something. And I know a whole lot of people that apparently didn't learn the lesson because now they don't like God at all. They just say, well, if he's the one that keeps stealing from me, if he's the one that keeps bringing pain, why would I want to go to church? Why would I want to serve that guy if he keeps bringing sorrow into my life? That is a lie from the pit of hell itself that God's children have believed for way too long. But it is absolutely not true. He said, call on me when you're in trouble. I'll rescue you. I'll pull you out of it. I'll deliver you from it. John 10, verse 10. And if you've been to this church very long, you know this one. But let's go there. Some of you knew I was going there already. John 10, verse 10. John chapter 10, verse 10. If you have any questions where trouble, pain, sorrow, heartache comes from, here it is right here. It's not from God. John chapter 10, verse 10. And you do need to know this verse. I mean, you've got to get this into you. John 10, verse 10. Jesus said, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, to destroy But I've come that they may have life. They may have it more abundantly. Who's the thief? It's the devil. Jesus said the devil comes to steal, kill and destroy. But I come to give life, to give life more abundantly. And the New Living Translation says to give you a rich and satisfying life. And so if you could get this verse right here and any time trouble comes into your life, any time someone tells you, I don't know if this is God did this to me or not. I don't know why this is happening. Well, is it stealing, killing or destroying? If it is any of those three things, it is not from God. It is from the thief. The exact opposite. Jesus said, if it's stealing, killing or destroying, I didn't do that. The thief did that. I came to give life and life more abundantly. Quit blaming me. Quit accusing me of being a thief. Quit accusing me of being a killer. Quit accusing me of being a destroyer. I didn't do any of that, man. How much would it stink if your kids accused you of things all the time? You know what I mean? You know, I would hate it if my kids said, man, I've got pain going on in my life. It's probably from my dad. My dad probably did it to me. I mean, I, I don't, I didn't see him, but he probably did it to me. Hey, I'm missing all the money out of my piggy bank. I'll bet dad stole it. What? I'd be like, no, why would I do that to you? I come to give you money. I come to bless you. I come to take you out for ice cream, man. I come, you know, go down to Wiener Schnitzel, get one of them ice cream cones, man. That's, you know, I go to, or we go with Donnie down to Foster Freeze. Donnie, Donnie's the banana split guy. He takes it and, and he just buys a whole big thing of banana splits. But anyway, that's this type of stuff that a loving dad does. 
I would hate it if all the time I, I, I gave everything for my kids. I mean, I was pouring my life out there, working on the hardest I could, loving them, sacrificing. And every time something bad happened, it's probably dad again. You know, you know him. Listen, that's wrong. If you wouldn't blame your own dad, why blame your heavenly father, who is, I mean, the absolute best ever? Quit blaming God and quit even questioning. If something bad happens in your life, don't even question. I don't, I don't want to say it was him, but I, I wonder. I, I, I'm not so sure. Maybe it was him. Don't do that. He's a good dad. He's a good father. And he wants the best for you. In fact, he said, I came that you may have life and have it more abundantly. That's what Jesus came to do. And so the Bible and the Holy Spirit are the teachers of the church, not sickness or trouble. A lot of times people think, well, God put this on me to teach me a lesson. And I'm not sure what it is yet, but I'm still learning. Maybe I'll learn it and get get through this. God didn't make you sick to teach you something. That is crazy. That's stealing, killing, destroying. God didn't do that to you. When I had cancer, I'm glad that my parents didn't say, oh, man, I mean, we want to pray for healing, but maybe God put this on him. I mean, I don't know. Should we even pray? Because if, if, if sickness was a gift from God, why pray to get rid of it? Why would you resist a gift? You know, if trouble and heartache and sorrow was just God's gift to you, quit praying to get rid of it then. I mean, that's your gift. Receive it. Be joyful. You know, be happy with your troubles. If it's all just what God's putting on you to teach you something, you should welcome it and pray for more. If that's how God teaches you by thumping you down and stealing from you in life and being a big bully, then by all means, keep praying for it. Ask for more of it. But we all know that that's not the truth. God doesn't use these things to teach us. Now, there have been times that I have learned through the hardships of life, I've learned a lot of lessons, but it was not God that sent them. He tried to get my attention another way first. There's a lot of times I look back and I learned lessons the absolute hard way, but God tried to get through to me before that trouble ever happened. He may have preached a sermon to me through church, may have shown me a dozen Bible verses, may have sent people into my life to keep telling me stuff, and I still didn't listen, and I brought trouble into my life, and I, I did learn from it. But that wasn't what God, that wasn't how God was trying to teach me. He had a dozen other ways he tried to get through to me, but I was too thick headed to listen. Remember one time I was, I was doing some grilled cheese on the griddle. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm not a good cook, but when, I'm pretty good on a griddle. I'm not, I don't, I don't like to brag, but I'm, I'm pretty good on a griddle. And so anyway, so I'm, you know, I'm getting there and you're just getting into the zone. And then my son Isaac, he comes up and I could tell he wants to touch this thing super bad. And I'm like, don't touch it. And every, every, every couple minutes I see him like kind of eyeballing it. And I'm like, don't touch it. That's going to burn you. That will hurt you. Sure enough, 30 seconds later, ah! I hear screaming. Did you touch it? Yeah, I touched it. Why did you do that? Well, I can promise you this. Isaac learned a valuable lesson that day. He learned a lesson, but it wasn't the will of the father that he learned it that way. I tried to tell him ten different times, if you touch that, you will get burned. If you touch that, you will get burned. And that's really hot. I tried several different ways to get it through to him. So he learned from pain, but it was not the will of the Father. The will of the Father said, just avoid that altogether. I've been there. I've done that. I've seen that. Just stay away from that. It's no good. Don't touch it. But in the end, he still did it. And he's never touched a hot griddle since then, ever. Never done it again. He did learn, but that was not the primary way that I wanted him to learn. I wanted him to just listen to the Father. And a lot of us, God's talking to you right now. He's saying, don't do it. Don't go that way. Don't take that. No, don't go there. 
And when we touch the hot thing and get burned, you can't say, why would you do that to me? <laughs> why would you do that? My son couldn't blame. I didn't do that to him. I, I, I did not want that to happen at all. But it still happened. So, God wants to teach us. He wants us to learn lessons. But he has a better way of doing it than being a child abuser. Than, than, than picking on his own kids. That's not a good dad. That's a bad dad. And God is not that. He is a good, good father. And he wants to bless us. Amen. And so, another thing I want to say is this. Just because trouble comes, it doesn't mean that you're out of God's will. That's another thing people question. Well, I'm having a, I mean, there's, this isn't going so well. It must mean that I'm out of the will of God. Well, you can't, you can't judge whether you're in God's will or not just by if trouble comes. Because if that's the case, then Jesus probably wasn't in the will of God. Trouble came against him. They tried to stone him several times, and he escaped through the crowd. He went out a back alley. I mean, all sorts of stuff. If having trouble means that you're not in the will of God, then Jesus wasn't in the will of God. Paul wasn't. He got his head cut off, so he must have really been missing it. Uh, Peter got crucified upside down on a cross. I mean, he must have really been a loser and missing it. Uh, No, that's not the case. Trouble comes to everyone, but... How you handle it is what makes the difference. And so you can't say, well, I mean, man, I've been going to church now and and all of a sudden it seems like more troubles are coming to me. No, duh. Absolutely. If you start getting hooked up with God, I can guarantee you the devil's going to turn the heat up, man. He is going to turn it up because the last thing that he wants is for you to go to church. He really doesn't want you to get involved and come more than once a week. He would hate that. He would absolutely despise it if you started tithing. He would be mortified if you got your children plugged into church. He would absolutely go crazy if you started serving in the church and volunteering. He would hate that. And I guarantee you, man, he is going to turn the heat up and because he knows that weak people will say, oh, well, I got worse when I went to church. That must not be the answer. I'll go somewhere else. Try it over here. Maybe the answer is over at the bar. I don't know. Listen, he would love for you to do that. But trouble in your life, that doesn't mean that you're out of the will of God. That means that, hey, you've got a bigger target on your back. Now, you now you're actually a threat. Now the devil's actually afraid that you could do something to his kingdom. He will turn the heat up. I can guarantee you whenever you start taking God seriously because he knows that a whole lot of people, that's that's enough to make him let go, walk away and, and quit from it. But don't do that. It says, be aware of your enemy, the devil, who walks around like a roaring lion looking for someone, some victim to devour. It says, resist him. Stand firm in your faith. That's how you win this battle. You stand firm. You keep fighting. You keep plugging away, man. You keep doing what the Bible says to do. And that's how you win this fight of faith. And so keep it up. Don't quit just because it gets hard. Don't quit. Galatians 6 says, do not grow weary and well-doing for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. If you don't give up. But a whole lot of people, they get tired of waiting for due season. They think it should have been here already. Well, you're not in charge of due season. I wish I was. It would, you know, it could have been here a long time ago. I would just claim, proclaim it due season for everybody by a, a proclamation, but I can't do that. God knows when due season is, and I know this, if I don't give up, it's gonna come. Fall comes every year towards the end of summer, I gotta tell you, living in the desert, I think that fall's never gonna get here. I started to think, I don't even think it exists anymore. I don't think that, I think that winter just doesn't exist. That's a lie that I've been fed my whole life. But eventually, somewhere near the end of October, early November, I'm like, 
Oh, due season is here. I am rescued from the flames. Hallelujah. And, you know, and I, and I, and I get it and I'm so excited, but you can't give up. You got to stay in there. You can't just walk away from it all because how sad would it be if your miracle was one day away and you just gave up and walked away? How sad would it be if just over this one last little hill, paradise and the promised land were right there and you, you said, I can't do it anymore. I'm out of here. How sad would that be if you gave up right before due season showed up? Don't do it. Keep fighting. Keep fighting. Keep fighting the good fight of faith. Keep believing. Keep proclaiming the promises of God. Keep fighting the fight because the Lord is good. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble and he knows those who trust in him. Number three today is this is that God always provides a way out. He does. If you stay in there, if you stay in the fight, if you don't give up, God always provides a way out. Always. Why? Because He said He does, and God doesn't lie. God does not lie. 1 Corinthians 10.13, once again, we were already there. 1 Corinthians 10.13. And I know that you guys already highlighted and put little stars and smiley faces there, so... You will find it right away when you get there. But 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. The temptations, the troubles in your life are no different than from what others experience. But God is faithful. Say that with me. God is faithful. He will not allow the trouble, the temptation, the test to be more than you can stand. When you are troubled, tested, tempted, he will show you a way out so you can endure he shows you the way out. He provides a way out. That's good news. It's not his will for you to be in this forever. It's not his will for you to suffer and, 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 and live like this forever. He wants to provide a way out. And I love the King James says he provides a way of escape. He provides a way of escape. And so when you're tested or troubled, God will show you the way of escape. He'll show you the way of escape. Why? Because the Lord is good. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble, and He knows those who trust Him. And I want us to look at one last story today in Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. And you're probably familiar with this a little bit, but as you know, the Daniel, he had these three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the... the the Hebrews, they were overtaken by the Babylonians, and so they don't live in Israel anymore. They live in Babylon, and that is not a good place. But Daniel chapter 3, so the, the king there, Nebuchadnezzar, he makes this proclamation because he gets super jealous that people are, are, are praying and worshiping others than him. And so he makes this proclamation. He builds this giant statue. This, this image. And, and he says, listen, whenever the music starts playing, everybody has to drop what they're doing and bow down to the statue and start worshiping it. And people everywhere were like, even if they, even if they didn't believe in this fake God, they, they were like, well, he says anyone that doesn't do it is going to get killed, put in prison. I guess we better do it. I, I don't want to do it, but I'm going to go ahead and bow down. And a lot of people, they cave to the pressure in life, even if it goes against everything they stand for. 
you have got to have something that you stand for. I've heard it said that if you don't stand for for something, you'll fall for anything. You've got to have something that you absolutely this is this is the line. If this gets crossed, I'm out. I will not do this. I absolutely refuse to do this right here. Nothing can make me do this. You've got to have some convictions that are absolutely set in stone. I will not do this no matter what. Put me in prison. I don't fire me. I'm not going to do that. Do you have anything that you stand for that is that firm in your heart? I know I, I when I worked at FedEx at the Indianapolis airport, right around Christmas time one year, they came in and said, all right. I mean, it was really busy. They set a record that year for volume. I mean, thousands of packages ever. It was chaos. It was nuts. But they said, all right, this Sunday, everybody, mandatory, every single person here will work this Sunday, no matter what. 8,000 employees, you all show up on Sunday, you don't have a job on Monday. And I was like, oh, man, I need a job pretty stinking bad. I've got kids. And I, I, need, I need employment. This, I need this. But that goes against what I believe. I, I do not work on a Sunday. I never have in my life. I never will. Never. And so, you know, I came to the manager and said, uh, listen, I know it's mandatory. I know my job is on the line. I, I won't be here. You guys may have to fire me. I will not be here. And, and she said, well, I'm going to have to talk to the higher ups or something. And so one of the guys there, uh, was actually an attorney, believe it or not. And, uh, and so anyway, I talked to this attorney and I said, they're telling me that I have to work this coming Sunday or I'm going to get fired. What am I going to do? And he said, let me ask you this question. Have you ever worked a Sunday in your work history? I said, no, not one time ever. He said, all right. Listen to me. If they make you work, I'm going to sue the pants off of this place. The front of the building is going to say FedEx, David Samples Hub, Indianapolis, Indiana. You will own this place. If they make you work this Sunday, you will own this place. They have zero right because you have never gone against that in your work history. Never. If you have never gone against your conviction on that, they can, they can try all they want. They can, they can bring their lawyer, everything. They have no legal footing in the world to force you to work that Sunday. And I said, really? He said, yeah, go dare them to make you work that Sunday. And I, I will get so many lawyers. We will sue this place to the ground. I was like, okay, calm down, man. I wasn't asking for that. I just don't want to work Sunday. I, I go to church. And so sure enough, I, I mean, I went and told him, and, and, and out of 8,000 people, one person didn't work that Sunday, this guy. And so listen to me. Don't tell me there are things that, that you just absolutely couldn't give up and couldn't. Listen. You've got to draw a line in the sand somewhere and say, I'm willing to give here. I'm willing to give a little there, but I will not. I won't do this. I won't cross this line. This is this is it right here. I will not do that ever. And a lot of people, they just have no absolute standards in their life. They're willing to give, 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 give. And, well, I don't want to do it, but I'm going to have to. And my point is this. Daniel chapter three, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Everybody else gave in and bowed down to the stinking statue. But these three guys said, no, I'm not doing that. You kidding me? There's not a chance in this world that I will ever bow down to your statue. You can forget about it, man. And so everybody, they hear the music, they hit their knees, they bow to the ground and start worshiping this false idol. Daniel chapter 3. Let's pick it up here at verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God who we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. 
That's pretty bold to talk to the king right there. That's pretty bold to talk to the guy that could kill you. But look at this next verse. But even if he doesn't, we will make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. They said, forget about it. There is not one chance in this world. Kill us for all we care. We are not bowing down. Not going to happen. And I know a lot of people that say, I don't want to, but I guess I'm going to have to. Everyone else has to do it. I'm going to have to do it, too. No, you don't. Get some guts. Get some backbone. Stand up for something, man. Be a man. Be a woman. Stand up for what's right. And that's what these guys did. They put their necks on the line. And so you think angels came in and swooped them off to heaven? No, it got worse. It got worse before it got better. Look at this. Look at verse eight, uh, verse 19. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. Turbans are flammable, dude. Right? Of all clothing, turbans are known to be the most flammable article of clothing that there is. All right, I made that part up, but it sounds it sounds really good. I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. But I do know this, that being thrown into the middle of the fire, head to toe in cloth, it just probably does not help your chances at all. And so here they are. They turned up the heat. And so maybe you're there. You've been thrown into the furnace. You didn't want to go, but you got thrown. And then the enemy turned the heat up seven times hotter than it's ever been. Have you ever been there where it's it is it's the worst that it's ever been? It just got real. If something doesn't change, you are history. And that's where these guys are right here. And so they're thrown in there. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. They didn't even touch the fire, and it was bad enough to kill them. So this isn't a joke. This isn't like we made a little campfire. This is a blazing, roaring, fiery furnace, and these guys just got thrown into the middle of it. This is getting worse, but look at this. But suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, wait a minute, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed and the fourth looks like a god. Why did it look like a God? Because it was God. It was Jesus in the furnace with them. And so you may be in the day of trouble right now. You may be in the furnace with the heat turned up stronger than it's ever been before. But there's a fourth guy in there. There's a fourth person in there, and it's Jesus Christ. He's in the furnace. He's in the fire with you. He's in the day of trouble with you. And when Jesus is there, he's good. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. 
And he knows those who trust him. And Jesus doesn't lose. Jesus has never lost at anything he's ever done. He has a 1,000 batting average. He's 100%. He's never missed a shot, never missed a hit, never failed at anything. And, 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 and if he's in there with you, you are more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, Thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. Now, I'd be happy if it said 75% of the time, man, you can triumph through Christ Jesus. I would take those odds. But it doesn't say that. It says he always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. And so there's a fourth man in the fire, no doubt about it. And look what happens. The Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come out here. And so he's changed his tune quite a bit. He knows who the real God is right now. Look at this. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. And I don't think they came out humble. I think they came out. They had, you know, little, I mean, I'm white, so I can't technically do that, but I'm asking for permission. So they come strutting out of there. And if they had a mic, I can tell you this. They would have dropped the mic and said, boom, what's up now? What's up? What's up, Nebuchadnezzar with your weird little name? What's up, brother? Who's God's the real God now, man? And so, and look, look at this. But, but, but my favorite part of the story is this. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. I can't even get near a campfire and not smell like smoke. I can't get near a smoker and not smell like smoke. They were in the middle of the flames and God has such a way of protecting us that they walked out, didn't have any burns on them, not a hair on their head was singed and they didn't even smell like smoke. Only God can bring you through the trial, through the mess, through the pain, through the fire, and there's no marks left. No one can even tell you've been through there. They said, you went through that? I went, no way. I, I can't even tell. You, you, went, you went through the fire? You went through the pain? You went through, the, through, through this mess, through that sickness, through that addiction? You went through that sorrow? And, and what, what, I can't even tell. What's up with you? There's a fourth man in the fire. I wasn't there by myself. Fourth man. He brought me out. Uh, yeah, there's no smoke. I don't even smell like it. You couldn't even tell I'd been through that. That's God right there. That's God. When I had blood work done a few years ago, uh, they, they, I had to disclose I had leukemia. And they, and they, they took my blood. And, I mean, it had been years since I had leukemia. But, but, but they got the blood work back and they said, now you're sure you've had blood transfusions and all this stuff you're, because there's absolutely no trace of it anywhere. And I wanted to say, yeah, the fourth man, he, he brought, I don't smell like smoke. Not, there's, no, I'm not missing any hair. My, I didn't get burned. He brought me through the fire. I'm perfectly fine. You couldn't even tell I ever even went through it because God is good. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. So when the day of trouble comes, I don't sit there and say, oh, man, this stinks. I say, oh, man, here we go. 
Let's fight the good fight of faith. Let's do this thing. The Lord is good. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. And he, he must see me right now because I trust in him. Amen. And so I encourage you that when the day of trouble comes, man, you fight the fight. You stand up. You get these verses in your heart that the Lord himself is going to fight for me. I'm not going to be afraid. Why do I have to worry? God's on my side. Psalm 138 tells me that the Lord's going to work his plans out for my life. I'm not afraid. He's going to make this thing happen. All I got to do is show up to the fight and I'm going to win, baby. That's all I need to do is show up. And that's it, man. God's going to take care of the rest. Amen. The Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble. Let's go ahead and stand up together today. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.